0: Greetings, one and all, and welcome to yet another episode of the Soccer Kakis Podcast. Today, we are ripping the band aid off. Um, I'm I'm, I'm even skipping the usual introductions, but uh, I guess I. You sound so
1: much more depressed.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, you'll know why in a second. This is me, Vikram. I'm a jack. We're going to talk about. uh, a couple of teams, uh, our favorite teams, or rather, uh, Jack's favorite team is my favorite team, and how they've all uh, performed miserably over the weekend or the past week, per se. Um, so, you know, it's called ripping the bandaid off because we're going to talk about it. In- yeah, Yes, <laughs> listeners,
1: this is the only way I could get them to talk about the United Liverpool game. We had to make this a shared misery experience. And you can hear by the tone in our voice that one of us is used to supporting bad teams and one of us isn't. Yeah. So, listener, we are going to make this a little bit easier on Vikram. We're not going to start with uh, the elephant in the room, so to speak. We are going to start by talking about the experience that I had over the weekend supporting my team. So, for those who don't know, I support two teams. If you don't like that, you can... Mm -hmm go after yourself I uh, support Olympique Lyon in France <laughs> and Everton in England and they both really tried to test my patience but I know well, better
0: because I've dealt with misery before unfortunately I haven't as much uh, I have but not as, not to this extent but let's sort of talk about Everton and Lyon first to sort of get that out of the way and concentrate on what everybody wants to sort of hear um that's about Everton. What's up with Everton, mate? Cuz I thought they had it. I mean, they sort of were all right at the start. Bro- of. Brother, mm-hmm. brother, that is a
1: significantly more complex question than you think it is. <laughs> 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 I could write a thesis paper on what's wrong with Everton. <laughs> hey, you should. You but, should, mate. You should. But I mean, I think there there was the nice honeymoon period when Rafa first got in charge. When you know, the, the team would, didn't necessarily play well, but they played to a style, and they played to a style that they suited. And that sort of direct style was very fitting for the players that we had. Specifically, you know, for Charleston, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Abju Dukurai, who's had a very good season so far, and Yeri Bina, who's had a very good season so far. The unfortunate things start to happen when those key players get injured. So Richardson came back from injury against Watford, but Calvert-Loon still injured and is likely out until 2022 after re-aggravating his injury. Abdou Ducouré is potentially out until the end of the international break, so like mid-November-ish. Oh, wow. Uh, Yerimina picked up another training injury, so I believe he's out until the international break. And... Oh, wow. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else who's injured. There probably is, and it's just skipping my mind. I do not believe there is, though. And this is sort of the moment when you realize that Everton's first eleven is good enough to maybe flirt with the, with finishing in the top six, but once you start peeling away the layers, you get a team that's largely lower mid table, and that's not necessarily something that Rafa has really adapted himself well to. I think the game against Watford. Even before Watford's comeback, they were yeah. generating big chances against our defense. I don't think the midfield two of Tom Davies and Elan really fared well together. Um, the defensive style didn't necessarily allow Everton to get forward and actually create anything. And if they did, it was quickly snuffed out by just the, the forward line just not really working all that well together. And Everton yeah. just cannot stop conceding set pieces. Which is amazing, considering <laughs> they had one of the best set-piece defensive records in the league under Carlo Ancelotti with basically the same players. So well, that that's sort I guess, of, uh, you know, points the finger at to who's responsible for that. True, true, very true. But I mean, I guess,
0: you know... On that note, right... Um, what does Rafa Benitez have to do to sort of turn things around? Can he do anything at, you know, or does he have to wait out until January, try to bring in some much needed reinforcements and sort of survive the season? Because clearly, uh, it's not looking too good for you lads. I mean, he de- it,
1: there are definitely like serious fundamental issues wrong with Everton, but in the short term, I think the issue is that Everton are pushed up against the financial fair play barrier and can't really spend anything until. They could probably spend something in January given that Thomas Rodriguez's colossal wages and how off the books, but it's really waiting until the summer when more contracts start expiring and some wiggle room starts to get found out there. But until mm. then, Everton are basically a mid-table team. And I think any anyone having any aspirations of the team finishing any higher are sort of fooling themselves at this point. It's just the issues sort of remain long-term about how how Everton under Far Mashiri are positioning themselves in the long run against a rising Aston Villa, a rising Newcastle United with Saudi-backed finances now who are potentially hiring Mark Overmars to be the director of football and build a project against yeah. uh, a West Ham United who are potentially being taken over by Czech billionaire. And you sort of see that Everton are just falling further and further behind because there's no real, clear, coherent plan. There's no real clear, coherent organization. I remember, I can't remember who wrote it. There was an article in the Athletic who said, who quoted a um, an unnamed uh, Premier League executive who said he's never ran into a club where he's had to call three people to get the answer about one player, like he has to at Everton. And it sort of feels like sort of the structure wow. of the club is what's eventually going to hold the club back, regardless of how well or how poor Rafa does.
0: Wow. Damn. So, I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, damn, bro. I mean, I know you guys lost fights, too, to uh, Watford and 1-0 to West Ham. But, damn, I mean, I guess. Yeah, forward, those,
1: those it, issues were always lingering around. But it just, it just had to be Josh King to score three goals.
0: Yeah, no, that's the Watford. thing, right? Out of and all you know what? The- Good for
1: him. Good yeah. for him. He got he dealt with so much crap under Ancelotti about him, you know, being unfit. There's a lot of you know bad publicity about him that I think was really unfair. I don't think he got a fair shake of it, and he was basically fighting for his professional career because he was given basically a six month tryout at Everton, and he basically never got to play, and yeah. he got thrown out to the Wolves to be a free agent. Luckily, he found his feet at Watford, and he ends up at. Uh, Gerson Park in his first game back and he scores three goals. Good for him.
0: Yeah, man. Genuinely good, really good. Genuinely, right? Yeah. I mean I think it's 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 it's, it's, a, it's a nice uh U turn of sorts for his career as well. You know, he needed uh I mean three goals. before that he hadn't scored in a while. So hopefully this kick starts a uh, resurgence in form for him. He's still young as well, it's only twenty nine. You know, he's not that old, even though yeah. he's been around for more than a decade, I suppose.
1: And I mean, even if Watford do go down, I think King does have some staying power in that team to where if they're playing in the championship he has the potential to help them go back up
0: yeah well I guess not to debate away from uh, what's the topics at hand but I mean to sort of round up things on Everton per se I, I, I do believe that you know it's a team still with a lot of potential they just need a uh, overhaul in terms of the hierarchy per se know the management there's something there that needs to sort of go um, yeah I think
1: it's very, I don't know, fitting is the wrong word, but I can't think of a better term for it, that before the Watford game, there was a article from the, the Liverpool Echo from one of Benitez's press appearances where Benitez called on Everton to improve in every department as a club, which, Oof. when you see it, like, even, you know, if you like or dislike Rafa, objectively he's right. <laughs> Like, Everton need to improve in every regard. It's just sort of weird coming from him because he is a result of the failures of Everton's hierarchy, given that absolute mess that was a coaching search last summer. yeah, It it was sort of a weird messenger to have that come from. And then immediately they lose 5-2 to Watford in a game where he he tactically mismanaged from minute one to minute 90. So, (laughs) Everton do need to improve in all departments. Mr. Benitez, you are very correct in that regard you just didn't know that you were talking about yourself as well.
0: Yep. Well, I guess to sort of move things on to Leon, um, I know you, you're you sort of okay with the recent state of results. Okay is maybe too strong of a word, but you yeah, sort of accepted probably them. Strong, but... You've accepted the results to say. But um, let's talk about the recent result against Nice, you know. You were leading 2-0 up until the 80th minute. And then in the span of twelve minutes, you guys <laughs> lose the game tree well. two. We lost. What happened? We lost. How? How? How you
1: do it, man? It's well There I think this elicited a lot of like near term PTSD for Leon fans. Because there are multiple PTSD. times last season when we blew two gold leads. Namely against Lille I think the fifth or sixth last game of the season that basically knocked us out of the title race and then ironically against Nice at home on the final day of the season that cost us the Champions League and a lot of that was very tactical it was very mentality centered it was basically putting on display for everyone the failings of our former manager Rudy Garcia who is a clown for lack of a better term yeah. And I think it elicited a lot of war flashbacks for Leon fans. Think, this is this is Garcia all over again. What are we doing? But I've very much leveled out. And I think surprisingly a good amount of Leon fans have very much leveled out about it. Because I don't necessarily think this was a mentality thing. Well, it was a mentality thing for some players. Oh, yeah, I can bring up one player in a minute. But I think it was largely just fitness issues and exhaustion. I think Leon yeah. are dealing with a decent amount of injuries at the moment. There's no real first-team striker that's fit. So Lucas Pakitas has mm. been having the plays basically at number nine, and he's he's God, so he can do whatever the heck he wants, but it was also it was mismanagement because um, the new manager, Peter Bosch, uh, didn't make any subs until, I think, the 82nd or 83rd minute. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's not good when the team was coming off of a game on Thursday in Prague against of Prague that Leon won 4-3. to And a game that was exhausting. It was back and forth, up and down. A game that Leon deserved a win, but they had to exert a lot of effort to do it. And it was a big win because it puts them in a really good position in the Europa League. But it it doesn't really help when Bosch doesn't really rotate the team and he waited so long against Nice to make substitutions that the team was just visibly exhausted. All three of the goals came from Leon's left side, which was mainly through the left back Emerson Palmieri, who's on from Chelsea, who is a good player, but he just you, you could tell he was tired. And you could tell yeah. he was making mistakes. And the first goal came when he lost Yusuf Atal. And Yusuf Atal was able to unload an incredible goal. But it was not very well defended from the left side of the team. And it was very clear that changes need to be made. But Bosch didn't make them. And it was clear that Tino Catawera, who was basically Leon's last string striker, playing on the wing, needed to come off because he had missed multiple chances that would have put the game to bed and made it 3-0. And then he ends up getting sent off. And when that sending off happened, that was basically when the game turned. And that was sort of the last little lingering of Leon's bad mentality from last season coming back to bite them. Damn, man. But I think there's a duality it, to this that there yeah. definitely wasn't for the Everson game. I have no idea how well this sort of Western saying translates to Asian culture. There's a saying in like American Western culture it says, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Oh, yeah, I have yeah, no idea if sense. that translates over cultures, but um, the, uh, the idea is yeah, the last like 15 ish minutes of that game were terrible, were absolutely yeah. awful, or humiliating. But the first 75 minutes, Lyon, were incredible. Yeah. They, they thoroughly outplayed the team that most people, including myself, consider to be the second best team in France and to be the most valid anti PSG that's there away from home as well they were playing in nice and peter bosch tactically managed rings around christophe gaultier who was the golden boy of french football for good reasons obviously but the nice's key players didn't have good games i mean gary who's one of the best young forwards in the league didn't have good games um Badawi, badali who's one of the best young midfielders in the league didn't have good game Casper Dahlberg and Andy Delort were basically running into themselves. Nice's defense was having trouble stopping Leon's attack. And it the, you don't want to make the final 15 minutes overshadow the first 75. Because I think there is at least a decent understanding that Leon are going through a project and they're going through a rebuild. And it's going to take a while because Leon don't have money. But yeah. the growth from the beginning of the season, especially that 3-0 loss to Angers that I think was like the second or third week of the season to now has been unbelievable. And this is a team that definitely has potential to do something, especially later in the season, especially in like a Coupe de France for the Europa League. But it just needs some patience to, in order to work through the issues and to get through this sort of injury run. Like if Moussa Dembele was healthy and he was playing up top instead of Tina Cattuera, Leon would have won this game 3 or 4-0 because they would have actually had someone who could put the ball in the back of the
0: net. <laughs> <laughs>
1: they could have. You don't want to overshadow all the good because of the little bit of bad that makes us think of Rudy Garcia. And I think it's unfortunate that this result made Peter Bosch, I believe this is the result This says he has the lowest points total of any Leon manager through, I think they've played 11 games now. I'm completely blanking on this stat now, through 11 games mm. since 2000. And it's sort of unfortunate that he's connected to that stack, because I don't think it's necessarily deserved. I think he is doing a good job. Now, also to be completely fair, in that season, Leon finished second. The very next season, Leon won the league. So maybe it's not all that bad to be associated with that, but who knows. But I think as sort of like a general point, it's unfortunate. It makes Leon's next two league games against loans, who are somehow second, and Ren a little bit more important. But I think because of how the league is shaken up now and how there's sort of a traffic jam of teams in the top six or seven, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that this loss isn't really the end of the world. I think Leon is still four points off second, even after this loss, because Nice and Marseille drew yesterday. So, you know, you sort of regret not taking those points against Nice, but
0: it's not the end of the world. Yeah, no, I don't think it's the end of the, end of the world for sure, but um, I, I do think that, you know, um, a lot has to be done. So there's so much, so much more.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I, go ahead. I was just going to say, and it feels like some of those cogs are starting to turn, especially with the rumors of Sardar Azman, the striker from Zenit, who looks like he's going to be joining Leon in January. So that was you know, a major player that Bosch wanted, a player that Juninho, the sporting director, agreed with him and wanted to bring to Leon. So you can see at least the cogs are still turning behind the scenes and they're still using whatever resources that they can to help build this team in the immediacy, thinking this team can do something. Though it does make me a little worried for next summer about who's going to be leaving to you know, counterbalance that. And yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I, yeah, I'm just praying it's not Lucas Pagata. And if it is, I hope he goes for no less than 80 million because he is a god among mere mortals. But yeah, it it's very clear that Leon has some ways to go. But I think for the first time in a while, I've felt comfortable with who is leading that drive. It's been a while since Leon have had a manager and sporting leadership that I feel like will take them in the right direction. It's just unfortunate that these guys have come in this scenario with everything that has already happened up to this point.
0: I guess now it's time for the, the topic, right?
1: Yes, now it's time for me to ask you about your team.
0: Yeah. So to be honest,
1: how Go much ahead. of this game did you watch? Did you? Turn I watched it off the entire own? thing. I don't even watch
0: the entire thing. No, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. I watched. For... I watched it until the 70th minute, and I think I, I think I couldn't take it anymore, and I finished it off. But um, what did me in was the fact that um. You know Ronaldo scored a goal was sort of ruled out offside. Uh, Pogba was sent off. Uh, the first four goals were easily avoidable. Just saying. I think the biggest issue here is that I really questions um, Pogba, uh, all these tactical instructions and tactical ability, given the situation. I mean, number one, he had Jaden Sancho on the bench, which was mind boggling to say the least. Uh, number two. What kind of press Was that mate Like Clearly Either the players Don't know how to press Or they haven't been Practicing it during training Or It seemed shambolic. I-, I don't know what was up I've seen teams press And pre- Some teams May not know how to press But They did a It was a shambles of a job I-, I don't get it man It's like It's not like United haven't pressed before You know Against City Um This was last season I think If I'm not mistaken Um they won City 2-0. Um, and that was due to, you know, excellent pressing by uh, by United. But against Liverpool, they were just torn apart. I, I don't understand what game plan, um, you know, they sort of were trying to get at.
1: Yeah, I think... I know the City game last season was largely their ability to disrupt City's midfield through pressure and through winning the ball high up the pitch, but it's sort of weird that most of United's game plans last season against quote-unquote big-six teams were largely fairly defensive and centered on the counter, that they were able to absorb pressure and then spring out of that, and it led to a lot of nil-nil draws. But those are better than losses, and I think those helped United along the way of finishing
0: second. Yeah, for sure.
1: But when you go against Liverpool and decide to press and decide to press as abysmally poorly as they did you were just giving them the game like I think I, this, I think the frightening part about the game is that I don't think Liverpool played all that well
0: no they didn't you know, I just end no, them the game exactly like I mean they just capitalized on our mistakes if anything right it I mean I was watching a video by the Athletic it's a YouTube video that the Athletic did with regards to the real problem United and uh, one of the things that they were talking about is the fact that Scott McTominay sort of uh, doesn't find space to receive uh, the ball um, in, 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 in midfield. He sort of stands behind uh, you know the opposition players and whatnot and I think perhaps that's one reason why you know we lost because if you think about it you know due to this positioning by McTominay or I guess uh, the lack of that sort of central defensive midfield pivot to receive and sort of kickstart attacks, they are forced to sort of, you know, pump the ball up or make risky passes into midfield which can be easily intercepted by opposition players. And to be perfectly honest, United have even away the ball a lot of times this season. It wasn't just a Liverpool game. It just so happened that Liverpool punished them for their mistakes where other teams, you know, haven't really... Uh, done so well at least in the same capacity my point is right i think there are issues tactically that ole needs to ask himself why did he bench sancho if he doesn't know how to get the best out of sancho then something is wrong with ole because we can we know for a fact how good this boy is we know for a fact what he can do if given the chance if deployed properly and i guess it also comes down to the question of do i play mason greenwood or Jaden sancho Why can't I play both? Well, we decided to sign Cristiano Ronaldo. And I think one thing that you sort of asked me was whether or not Ronaldo is a big hindrance or is he actually helping the squad? Is he saving the squad? I think it's a bit of both. I really do think that United don't know how to utilise a system where we can play, for instance, with two forwards. I mean, you ask Gole to do that right now, he's probably going to look clueless. And... To be perfectly honest, I don't know how you can play a system with two forwards because I'm not a tactical mastermind, but I think you can Ronaldo. You can play a Mason Greenwood Ronaldo or Cavani Ronaldo or Cavani Mason Greenwood system and still feature Jaden Sancho on the wing. On one wing, on the other wing you have Marcus Rashford. You know, that's a menacing attack. It really is. Do we need a central defensive midfielder in a modern game, Jack? Is that something that we need?
1: Well, let me, let me address a few of the points in sort of a systemic way that my brain can make it make sense. Yeah. So number one, always married to the system because Bruno Fernandes, because Bruno needs to play as a number 10. But so okay. also, contrarily, he sort of did play a 4-4-2 in a, certain, in a certain way because of how Bruno moved, especially off the ball. He more or less played as sort of a second striker, especially when Bruno pushed up to press because Ronaldo, frankly, didn't want to. It looked like a 4 4 2 without the ball, or I guess more or less a 4 2 4. And that was a tactical failing because you then force Fred and Scott McTominay to cover literally the entire field. And there's no, like, no one's going to do that unless you're in goal Conte and you can be everywhere at the same time. But. It almost sort of set them up to fail because, I mean, Fred and Tom, they aren't that good. They don't work as a pairing. That's pretty well established. But they're not exactly... Be- they weren't exactly given a lot of help by Ole because they were given the impossible task of being two players and trying to stop three players, or I guess four or five, depending on the scenario, because you can loop in, loop pulls forwards and loop pulls full backs into those overloads as well. And i really hope i can continue along this train of thought because i'm starting to lose some of it but (laughs) going back to what you said about mctominay showing for the ball that's definitely part of the problem because that limits one of your ways to build up and it was really evident against liverpool when they played their forwards so high to try and pin united's fullbacks back like united usually build up either through the middle by getting one of pogba or bruno on the ball or they build up through the wings, usually down the left through Luke Shaw because he's their best ball-playing defender in the team. Yeah, But Luke Shaw is not going to get forward because he's not going to want to give space to Mohamed Salah. And very rational reason for that because Mohamed Salah is arguably the best player in the world right now. Yeah. And Aaron wan is also not, not going to get forward because he does want to give space to... I was blanking for a second, Diego Jota, because Sadio Mane did not play on that wing. And since you can't build up through the sides, you have to build up through the middle. And if Fred and McTominay are not getting in good positions to receive the ball, a turn, and play it to either Bruno or to a winger, then you just have to start lumping long balls forward. Now, if you're going to lump long balls forward to Virgil Van Dyke and Ibrahim Konate, who are both, I believe, at least six foot three, you're
0: not going to win any yeah, yeah. of
1: those. So you're just literally giving Liverpool the ball back over and over and over and over again.
0: No, I mean, and it's... it's uh, God, God. I was going to say, it's, it's in this kind of situation whereby a defensive midfielder would make sense um, because, you know, he could sort of drop back into that three-man... to form a three-man defence with Luke Shaw and Aaron Wan-Bissaka pushing up, per se. Because I don't expect... The thing is, right. The thing is, right. And to be perfectly honest here, Scott McTominay can do that role. Because he's being played as a right centre-back. Uh, he's being deployed as a right centre-back for uh, um, Scotland. Alright? The problem is, at, in Scotland, he, he plays more as a ball-carrying <laughs> defender. If you know what I mean. Um, Fred is not a centre-back. I don't think Fred should be played as a defensive midfielder. If, if anything, he's a... He's, uh, He's your traditional central midfielder who's able to sort of, uh, you know, connect defense to attack. Uh, He's not meant to be doing the dirty work per se. Do you know who would have been a perfect player for this position? You're going to disagree with me and that's totally fine. But in order for... uh, This player makes sense to me because he's able to drop back into that central uh, defensive role when the team is going on to an attack really well. And that's daily blend, to be perfectly honest. Daily Blend would have fit this system r- rather well if he if he stayed at United and remained as a defensive midfielder, and in, in 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 the responsibility which I just explained earlier. All right, you can you can disagree, that's fine. But I honestly think no, that I Daily Blend Oh, I totally agree. Could... Yeah. Oh, you do? Oh, that's
1: that's, that's surprising. I mean, but Daily Blend does the two things that United need for a defensive midfielder: dude. he's positioned very well and he's a very good passer. Yeah,
0: Scott. Yeah, no, name neither of those things. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't understand why we, we let him go. Because he's um, old. Well, I do. It's, it's not old. It's, it's mean, not that you, old. You need, a, you need a
1: player like Daily Blend. I do not think Daily Blend right now would make as significant of a difference as you're letting off Manchester United. But Daily Blend, back in the day... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those traits that Daily Blend has is something that United need in defensive midfielder. Someone who's able to be positionally sound... As a defender, help to sort of shield the defense while also being able to show for the ball, turn, and pass.
0: I mean, if United is willing to splash the cash, Marquinhos would be another shot. Marquinhos would cost them an unbelievable amount of money. No, I mean, you're, you're not wrong there, me. <laughs> but at the same he time. He would be a world record fee for a center back. Rightfully so, as well, but um, he would fix a problem. Oh, yeah, absolutely 100%. And he's
1: not even a natural defensive midfielder, he'd still fix the problem.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, okay, all right, all right. Um, one, speaking I, of center I, backs, backs uh, Perry Maguire. I don't know, man. Maguire, he's sort of falling into a rut again. You know, he was he's this sort of happened in his first season with Mourinho in charge as well. I don't know whether they remember, but. There was a point in time he was good and then he started going to this rut. And then he was decent again. He, he sort of has like spells of good and bad form. I mean, all players do, sure, but it's, it's really night and day for a player like Maguire, if you know what I mean.
1: It really is. And,
0: you know, it's
1: really sudden. And it really, I mean, I'm not saying this is the right cause of it, but it's really unfortunate that it happened the moment Rafael wrong or because you know that the player who's going to play next to him, Victor Lundeloff, is also not mm. that good. So the moment when you most need Harry Maguire to be that leader and to be the guy who's going to marshal the defense is the moment when he hits that runner for form. And while we linger on the defense for just one more thing, this is something that I saw, yeah. I believe it's from the Times, before we started recording. It is uh, all Premier League teams and the goals that they have conceded in their last 20, 20, I believe that is 20 games in all competitions. Where do you think Manchester United fall on the spectrum?
0: We probably uh, conceded the most, I think. Not the most. Not even the second Oops. most. No, oh, wait, what? Really? That's, that's that's a victory, and it told me so. Uh, the most conceded in the last
1: twenty games is Newcastle, thirty-seven. Mm. Second right. most is Norwich with thirty-six. Third most All is right. a tie at thirty-four between Burnley, Crystal Palace, and Man United.
0: <laughs> how the mighty have fallen? Well, I mean that's sums it up. Next to an...
1: it, how many clean sheets do you think Man United have had in their last twenty games? Five.
0: Too high. Really? two. Slightly too high.
1: One? One. They've had one clean sheet in the really? last 20 games. It's the lowest of any Go team on. in the Premier
0: League. Wow. I mean, I guess a lot of questions need to be asked. Don't they? Yeah? You're not
1: wrong. I think people have been starting to ask those questions specifically around the manager position.
0: I don't get it, mate. I really don't, bro. All right. So as the so as the
1: sort of news portion for the readers, in case anyone hasn't seen it, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer will be in charge of Man United against Tottenham this weekend. It is believed that there was some discussions behind the scenes. That there is some Mm -hmm. division within the board. A lot of people want him to leave, but his main allies still within the board are Ed Woodward and Sir Alex Ferguson, which is a very interesting combination of people to be on the same side of the debate. Yep. Got to the point where Sir Alex Ferguson went to Carrington yesterday, I believe, and a sort of dad shows up to the school to make sure his son isn't getting bullied sort of move. And it appears that Ole is going to have until the international break to save his job. United have three games between now and the international break. That is Spurs away, Atalanta away, and City. City at home? City at home? I think so. I think it's. Yeah. I think so. It is. Yeah, Spurs away, to away, City at home between now and the international break so your response to that and then I'm going to ask you one more question
0: my response to that is uh, better start saying a prayers United fans because we would need every bit of divine intervention to save us from further folly because honestly mate I see us picking points but not are doing all too well against the opposition that we are up against. Yeah. I mean, to be completely so is... fair,
1: now might be the best possible time to play Tottenham.
0: Ooh, that's true. That is true. Who are, true. Who are not in a
1: very good run of form themselves, having just lost to the Test in the Europa League, and I think they, they lost to West Ham last weekend. I believe.
0: True, so, very true.
1: Not a bad time to play Tottenham, but... As defining games go, you don't get more defining than Atalanta away in Man City at home.
0: I mean, fair. So, I guess, what's this other question you want asking? I'm kind of curious to you know. All right. So, in a world where Ole Gunnar Solskjaer loses his job, which
1: is a world we might be living in very, very soon. Antonio Conte, Zindin Zidane, Brendan Rodgers, Mauricio Pochettino,
0: or someone else. Yo, I don't know, man. Conte sort of like, uh, I mean, Conte's side of football isn't the most exciting, isn't it?
1: Not particularly, but... Sort of, I mean, Mourinho has a It has its moments, it it has a moments scored sure. scored fairly few amount of goals last
0: season. True, but that's because of Lukaku and... Uh, I don't know whether, they, you know, Romello wants to return to Old Trafford... Uh, I don't think he will, given his Chelsea right now. He but must
1: definitely
0: my point is, uh, I think out of those four managers, the rationalist in me would say Conte because you know he's done it in England, done it in Italy. Yeah. You can sort of trust him in that sense. Um, the sort of football romanticist in me wants to go with Zidane. It'll be interesting to see how he sort of pulls strings together. If anything, Pogba would stay for the rest of his life, and uh, so would Varane, I suppose. Um, nah, no to Brandon Rogers, no to Porch, man. Is I don't anyone think anyone else uh, I yes, gave, you, I gave
1: you a someone else. There is one other manager. You better not say I Steve
0: Bruce. Oh, no, I wasn't going to say Steve Okay, part of me was going to say Steve but I didn't <laughs> want to uh, <laughs> piss you off. Um, there is one other person, though. I don't think this is feasible in the slightest, actually. I do think, right, that... If, if this happens, that would be cool. If it doesn't, sure... I want to see Douglasman at United. I don't think he's going to leave Biden. Hell no. But... Yeah. I think the ship might have sailed on that. But it's definitely an interesting prospect. He would have definitely, you know, presented an interesting prospect. That's not sure. But yeah. If I had to say... I would say... Uh, Biden. Hey, Biden. What the fuck? done? <laughs> 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 Sorry, mate. I had some multiple- notifications. <laughs> I had a notification pop up on my phone and I was like, Biden. I was like, what? Zidane, bro. Zidane. you heard Zidandra. it
1: here Zidandra. first. Joe Biden for the next time. you <laughs> position.
0: Fuck <laughs> oh, oh, shit. This is that
1: is a soccer khakis exclusive right there. You will not get that news anywhere else. Fabrizio Romano, eat your heart
0: out. Right, that's good. That's good. Alright, yeah, but, you know, those are my picks, mate. Those are my picks, essentially. So, yeah. Um, Zidane. I think I would go with Zidane or Conte. Zidane, for sure, but Conte, because it's either one. It's going to be a tie between both. There you have it. We
1: finally got you to talk about United Liverpool. (sighs)
0: <sighs> finally and I guess you tune that in next you week of...
1: where we get to talk about Manchester United 0 Manchester City 5
0: oh yeah that's another one that we sort of to brace uh, our souls for but I guess on that note um, there's nothing else on your end um, is there anything else on your end not that I can think of okay that's good that's good so before you can think of something I better wrap it up um <laughs> we've ripped the band-aid off on uh, our favourite teams uh, this episode uh, much to my misery um, I think if it's one thing to add sort of uh, you know make as a concluding remark you know anything can happen in football and no one is expecting a 5-0 demolition of United and hey that happened against Liverpool but you know the same could be said in uh, in the matches to come. You can't predict matches. You can't um, foresee what is going to happen. You can have an idea of what's going to happen. But who knows? United might, you know, have a demolition match of their own against Spurs and score six to sort of make up for the goal difference. (laughs) Or they might might pan out to a nil-nil draw that uh, would be more probable, if anything. But this is a rebuild for all our teams. This is a period of transition for all our teams except uh, Everton Everton's always been in a period of transition for everton always been longest in a of period of
1: transition for 34 years now mm. yeah 34 years now since they lost one league title so yeah and it's a surprising period of transition for Manchester United too because they were they were thought to be title contenders sometimes transition can just sneak up on you
0: Hmm. <sighs> all right, okay, no worries, no worries, all right. I think in, in that light all is good. Um all is good United fans. We are going to come back stronger, hopefully. Hopefully. All right. And on that happy note, a positive optimistic uh perspective of you This has been Vikram. This has been Jack. This has been the Soccer Kaki Steam Podcast. Tune in next week, where we talk about more things interesting and everything football. See you guys. Bye, y'all.